taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to this message. This is the Journey Church Podcast. Our hope is that it leads you closer to Jesus and encourages you to live your life on mission for Him. For more information about our church and how you can get involved in what God is doing at Journey, please visit jrny.church. Good to, to be with you. Uh, we are in September 1st. Kids are back to school. If not, your kids are heading back to school. How many of y'all been excited about that? No kids are excited, they're teenagers. I'm excited. I love back, back to school, and so it has been, been great. Man, if you've never been here before, my name is Steve. I, I get to preach often at this church, and we are glad that you're with us. We believe nobody comes here by accident. In fact, God knew the exact Sunday that you would show up here today, and so we're grateful that you're with us. We're ending a sermon series today we called Whistleblower. Uh, we started it in the beginning of August, and I said, we're just going to talk through things. I want to make you aware, kind of whistleblow. I want to point things out that some people don't understand maybe about God or maybe things that people are confused about or trip people up. And so the first week, if you're interested, we talked about how people walk away from God. And so that actually happens. And so I gave you a step-by-step process. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't walk away from God in one big step or a sprint. You do it in small steps. So I gave you four small steps on how people walk away from God. Now, two weeks ago, uh, we talked about how disappointment is okay. There's a myth. It says that God will never disappoint you. And I wanted to debunk that and tell you, He many times will disappoint you. He'll disappoint you when you're trying to settle. He'll disappoint you when what you're trying to get is going to cause you suffering. He's going to disappoint you when what you want is actually going to take you away from him because he, in truth, is all that you you need. And so I told you God sometimes will disappoint you. I wanted you to understand it's okay. Uh, And then last week we talked about being offended. And uh, I I wanted you to understand you don't ever have to be offended. Uh, People are going to do things that offend you. But you are in power and control where you can either take it or, or, or let it go. And the reason it was important uh, is because if you are an offendable person, if you live in offense, I can guarantee you that it is impossible for you to be close to God. Because the, the Bible says with the way that you forgive, so the opposite of being offended is letting go of things, forgiving. With the measure that you forgive other people, that's the same measure that God will use to forgive you. So if you hold things against other people, it is impossible for you to be in a close relationship with God where sin is not in the middle of you. So don't be offended. I think it's a great segue into today's message because we're going to talk about money. So remember what I just said, offense is what? Your choice, don't be, everybody look at your neighbor and say, don't be offended. Uh, and here's the thing, uh, the, the point of the message is not to get your money. The point of the message, we don't need your money. We're not doing a giving campaign or, or, or a, a building thing. I literally just want to talk to you on the subject of money. I don't want anything from you today except for you to understand the significance of money. And here's the thing with money. We don't have a problem talking about it outside the church. We just don't. Like we'll, We will sit and we will talk about money all the time. You can sit with a group of guys. I, I've done it. And what do you do if you're, 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 you're you know, 35, 40? Talk about how much money you have in your 401k. Talk about the beach house you're planning on buying. Talk about the car you drive. Talk about the new tool that you bought. Talk about how you got a promotion. We, we, we talk about money, and then we get in church, and it's like we shouldn't talk about this. And I am of the belief uh, that, that oftentimes the reason we don't talk about money is because Satan has has tricked us into believing it's not spiritual at all. And so we don't talk about money in church. We don't talk about sex. Two things that actually ruin people's lives that we should talk about because God created them. He's good, and he has a good plan for each one of those. So we're not going to... I talked about sex first time you started listening to me today. And so we're not going to talk about that today. We'll talk about that in the next couple weeks if you want to. But we're going to talk about money today. Here's a question. I want to do a little Q&A with you. You don't have to raise your hand, but I want you to respond in your spirit or with a head nod or something like that. How many of you, when you were younger... Uh, you wanted to be rich. Like you, you, 
right? I said, don't raise your hand, but you're not embarrassed about that, right? Like, I'm not, we do. Like, I, I, when I was younger, I wanted to be rich. I had a friend. My parents were pastors, so I never felt, felt rich. Like, we had a lot. We lived in a, in a normal house, and, you know, they drove, there was a time when our family had three Ford Escorts. If you don't know what a Ford Escort is, because they don't make them anymore because they're junk. And so we had three Ford Escorts. My first car was a Ford Escort in 1989 with the automatic plus seat belts. You know what I'm talking about? The ones that would choke you when you got in and out. You had no choice but to put your seatbelt on back in 1998. And so, like, that, that was my life. And we, we had a nice life, but I had a friend named Sean who lived in Boyertown with with me and he was like remember the movie Richie Rich he was Richie Rich like his house looked like Richie Rich's house when I went there uh, I wanted to be him I wanted to be his 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 dad's kid like I wanted to change places with him and so he had a goat cart I remember he had a goat cart he he ate he had all sorts of snacks in his house he he he, he had a TV in his room he had every movie he had a VCR let me tell you how, how bougie that was back in the day he had a VCR in his room. And I used to dream, someday I want to be like him. And I wasn't thinking, I want to give my kids a lot. I want this life. Like, I want a go-kart when I turn into an adult. I want that life. I don't want to eat, you know, lucky leopards. I want to eat frosted flakes when I get older. Like, I want, I want lucky charms. I want all, I want the, I want the real cereal. Like, I want all, I want to be rich. Most of us at some point in our life have said, you know what, I, I, I want to be rich. Here's the problem with being rich. It's really hard to see. Because if I ask most of us, are you rich today? Most of us would say, would say no, I'm not, I'm not rich. Like, rich is out there somewhere, and I'm not, I'm not rich. And so I'm going to give you some good news, bad news. You guys want the good news or the bad news first? Bad news. You're going to get the good news because that's the way it's written up in my sermon. And so I'm going to do the good news first. And so I should have known in this service you'd want the bad news first. And so we're going to do the good news, bad news. Good news, bad news. Ready? Good news. Really good news for you. Uh, some of you said you wish you were rich. Good, good news is you are rich. There's good news. Let me just do an experiment with you. I got a $5 bill. If I held this $5 bill and I said, whoever raises up here first to get it, no one's going to jump up a $5 bill. And you might. You're like that one guy, but you would jump up here if I gave you a gumball, right? Like that's, you're just that guy. Most of us are not jumping up for a $5 bill, right? This is, most of us make many, many times over this in an hour. Most of us spend this on a coffee. We just drop this down, $5.25, $5.75 if you get the grande or whatever, the big one. Grande's a small, I don't understand that. So the big one. And so like $5 is not that much. But here's the thing about it. If, if, if you make this in a day, you make more than 46% of the people in the world. You make more money than, like, so then basically half. If you make over this a day, two-thirds of the world, or one-third of the world lives on less than $3 a day. So years ago when I used to preach a sermon like this, I would say if you make more than $2 a day, you make more than half of the, of the people in the world. But our, our world has went through a, a massive economic, you know, birth, and now everybody, half the people in the world live on $5 a day. So if I, let's just, let's make it practical. If I would say to you, hey, I, I, I have something I need for you to do at my house. You are a talented, qualified contractor. I need a tree cut down. I need, I need something painted. I need this. And you showed up at my house, and at the end of the day, I said, cool, here's five bucks. There's not a contractor that is not related to me. That would say, that's fine. They would say, I worked eight hours. This is how much you owe me. I use my tools. You owe me much more than five, $5. Fine. Listen, bro, you, this right here is worth more than half of the people in the world live on for a day. See, if you make more than this, all, already you're in the top 50% of the richest people. Somebody say, well, I don't feel rich. Well, you have rich people opportunities. Let me give you some examples. Uh, if you have a house right now, 
with more than one bed in it. You have like multiple beds and you have multiple bathrooms and, and you have multiple cars and you have multiple outfits and multiple pairs of shoes and a refrigerator with, with food in it and you have an extra refrigerator out in the garage with extra food in it. You're rich. If you walk into your refrigerator from time to time, all kids have done this and you open it up and you're like, mom, right? Wife, husband, there's no food in here and there's food everywhere in there. You're rich. If you go to your cupboard and you're like, Mom, we don't have any Tasty Cakes. The fact that you have Tasty Cakes means you have dessert after you eat a meal, right? That means you are rich. If you go to a restaurant and you order off the menu, but you, you change it a little bit where you say, you know what? I know this is what you told me that is good, but I know better than the chef in your corporation. I need you to take off the tomatoes. I'm not into tomatoes and the lettuce, and I don't want it. If you bring it out wrong, I'm sending it back. You're rich. If you do have a, a, a car and you have a place, a house for your car, car to garage, like a, like a house for our car, we push a button. Some of you are like, what's that? Because you can't fit in your house for a garage because you have so much stuff in your garage that you can't park in it. You're, you're, we, let's, can we just, I mean, we're laughing, but can we just admit we're rich? Like we, we have a house we pay for, and then most of us at some point during the year have enough money to rent at another house that we go spend a week at, and then somebody comes and cleans it up for us. We call that vacation. That is being rich. We have rich people opportunities. Somebody's saying, I don't feel rich, and the problem is if you don't know you're rich, you'll continue to try to pursue being rich. And I want to give you the good news, you're rich. From time to time, I like to go to something called globalrichlist.com. And it is legitimately a place of, don't go there right now, listen to what I'm saying, but go there at the end, globalrichlist.com. We'll put it online sometime this week so you can go there if you, if you forget. But you can type in how much you make and it'll show you how rich you are in the world, the exact number. I don't know if it's real or not, but it's a fun activity. <laughs> and so from time to time, I like to reevaluate and see where I, where I am on the list, like how close I am to you know, the richest people in the world. And if you go on that and you type in how much you make, just, just get some stats correctly, it'll show you the percentage of where you're at. If you make over $15,000 a year, which if you are in high school and you work 35, 40 hours a week or whatever you work, 25 hours a week, whatever that is, and you make seven, eight, nine bucks an hour, and you're making that much money during the year, it's 1000 bucks a month or whatever that looks like, in college you make that, you're in the top 7.6% of the richest people in the world, $15,000. If you make over $30,000, which most of us would say that's not rich, if you make over $30,000, guess what you are? You're in the top 1% of the richest people in the world. If you make over $80,000, you make in the top 0.1% of the richest people in the world. Like you're, 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 you're rich, richer than 99.9% of the people in this world. And somebody say, that, 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 that's like normal? Like $80,000 normal? You're right. Because you know what? I did, some, I did a study this week. The average medium income in, Coven, in, in Chester County, which is currently where I stand right now, is $84,000 a year. Some say, I don't live in Chester, so I'm fine. The average in Montgomery County is around 76. The, the average in, in Bucks County is 74. And if you live in Delaware County, you're poor, you only make $61,000 a year. Only. Can I, can I just tell you that the good news is, is that me and you, if we say we want to be rich someday when we get older, this is, this is eye-open, I just want you to be aware is, is we, are, we are rich. Can I give you the bad news? We're rich. The good news is we're rich, and the bad news is we're rich. In fact, watch what Jesus said. He said in Luke 18, he said, so Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? 
And we're rich. We're all in the top few percentile of the world. He says this, indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who was rich to enter the kingdom of God. You ever, you ever saw? For, for the love of all that is righteous, somebody invent an easier needle to thread. I mean, you'll, you'll lose your mind trying to thread it. And he says that little hole in the needle that you try to put the thread through, that you have so much trouble just putting the thread through, he says it's easier for a camel to go through that eye than it will be for a rich person to get into the kingdom of God. In other words, it's going to be really difficult for us. The good news is we're rich. The bad news is that, that we're rich. And if you don't feel rich, you will continue to try to pursue being rich. And here's what I don't want. I don't want you to feel ashamed today. That's not what I'm telling you. I'm not saying, man, we should feel bad about living in Chester County or whatever county you live in. You should be bad, feel bad about being successful in your career. You should feel bad about your house. Your house is too big. What is, what is too big? Your house is, is too big. You have too many rooms. You should sell your car. You should go to Africa. You should sell everything, move to Africa. Maybe that's what God says to you. That's not what I'm, what I'm telling you today. I'm not asking you to be ashamed. I just want you to be aware because if you're aware, you'll make some adjustments. Not ashamed. This is not a place of condemnation. Just aware, because if you're aware, you'll make some adjustments. Let me, let me make it practical to you. A few weeks ago, I was in the, my front yard, and I have a bed that, before we lived in my, my house, is from the, the, seven, the late 70s or 60s, something like that. The people planted ivy. And I don't know if you've ever planted ground cover. It just keeps going. And so now in this ground cover is a mixture of weeds and poison ivy and snakes. i never seen a snake, but I know they're in there. And so I've tried to pull the weeds out of the ivy to keep it nice, you know, all, stay away from the poison ivy, and it doesn't work. And so about once every two or three weeks, I, I go into my house, I put on sweatpants, because by the way, I'm very allergic to poison ivy. I put on the highest boots that I get, I don't care if it's 100 degrees outside, I put on a long sleeve shirt, I put on armor, and I put on, in case there's a snake, I put on a hoodie, and I put on some protective goggles, because safety first. And I go out in front of that house, and I weed whack that entire bed so that I can hide the weeds and make it look decently nice. And so I did that last Saturday, I believe. I went out there, got all my clothes on, and I started doing what I did, and I'm weed whacking. And as I'm weed whacking, I, I feel a bite on the back of my leg, and I'm like, it's, it's a snake. But then it was on the other leg really quick, another bite. And then it was another, like, this instant pain. And then I felt it in my foot. Like, I was like, something's biting me. And all of a sudden, I realized I'm standing on top of some pissed off bees right now. And they're stinging me. And I literally dropped my weed whacker on top of it. And I started running, right? I'm at the front of my house, my neighbor's house. He's not there. He's at his beach house, right? And so I go running in front of his house. I don't know what I'm yelling, but I'm yelling. And as I'm yelling, stuff keeps stinging me all over the back. It's like up on my leg. I'm doing like cartoon thing. And literally, I started ripping off. I'm not even thinking I'm in front of everybody. I ripped off my hoodie. I threw my glasses. My boots were on the ground. By the time I got into my, my garage, I'm in my underwear, and that is it. I run into the house. Something is still stinging me. My wife's like, what happened? I'm like, I'm getting stung by bees. She's like, why are you climbing trees? I'm like, I could be dying, and you want to know why I'm climbing trees? I'm dying, right? A couple hours later, I went back out there, and, and I just wanted to assess the situation. And I'm looking at it, and my neighbor came walking over, and he was like, hey, I saw you. I'm like, well, what'd you see? Because I never met this neighbor before. He's like three houses down. He only saw me because I took off running. I'm like, well, what'd you see? He said, I saw your clothes flying. I heard, I heard you. What do you do for a living? Um, I'm, I help people. <laughs> I help people. 
And he said to me, he said, don't go buy spray, because if you buy spray, you're just going to kill the bees on the top. You've got to kill the nets. And so he gave me this spray, because he has had this experience. We put this little, this little powder down. It looked like a drug, and I dropped this bomb on this beehive, and the, the, they get dusty. It goes in, and it kills them, and the rest is history. I, I, I murdered all these bees, and I was happy for it. <laughs> and i got to tell you, when I, when I became aware, I adjusted in that moment. I didn't stay there and be like, oh, 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 yeah, that feels awful, right? <laughs> Like, I, 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 I took off running. I adjusted what I was doing when I became aware. And what I want you to do today, no matter if you're a college kid or if you're a successful businessman or you're moving up or you have your eyes set on retirement or whatever else you have planned financially for your life, I want you to be aware of how rich you are. You see, money, we have said it often, will be the number one competitor for your heart, period. So let me just give you three things to be aware of if you would agree with me that you are rich, like, like like I am, like we have money. Let me just give you three things, really practical things. One is this, is you need to remember, it's going to be much harder for you to depend on God. If you have money, it is going to be much, let's just be honest, when, when are you most close to God? When you're going through a difficult season. When you need that relationship, when you need that help, when you need somebody to reach out to you, when you need a breakthrough, when you need a victory, you're here. Life gets good, it's so easy to, to go away. So if we're walking in financial security oftentimes and have more than, than we need and success is coming our way and opportunity is knocking on our door, then we just need to be aware that it will often be harder for us to depend on God than it would be for a person. Like, like there's times people are like, you know, you go to Africa, I hear a missionary, we go to Africa, we start a church in the middle you know, of, the, of the desert and we have rock for, for, the, for, for the seats and you meet under a hot tree and there's, you know, there's danger and cobras all over the place and, and we have church and people flock to, to to God. And then in America, you have these, these rooms. They're, they're, either, they're either too cold or too hot, depending on how we feel that day and all this technology. And no matter what's going on, there's something beckoning your time because we have rich people opportunities. And so church is kind of optional for most Americans, yet Africans don't miss it. Why? Because they need God. They need God for for water, they need God for, for food, they need God to supply all their needs, like he said. They are desperately seeking out for, for God. But in America, we don't need him. Let's just be honest. You could live this entire week if everything goes according to plan. If your kids wake up at the right time and go to school and you go to your job and it goes business as usual, you cannot talk to God all week. It's not until something goes haywire, you're like, okay, God, I need you. And this is what happens. This is the temptation of rich people is we often have a more difficult time depending on, on, on God. In fact, watch what it says in the book of Matthew chapter 6. It says, it says no one can serve two masters. Either, either you will hate the one and, be de- and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. They're going to be competitors for your heart. And, and what I've noticed is, is oftentimes... Uh, there's two areas that I, that I actually allow money to compensate for my lack of relationship with God. Number one is oftentimes I'll look to money for happiness. I'll say, this will make me happy. Think about what you, what you think oftentimes will make you happy. Maybe you're a girl. It's getting your nails done. Maybe you're a guy. It's, you know, fantasy football league. Maybe you're a family and you're saying, we'll be happy when we get this house or we'll be happy when I get this promotion or I'll be happy when this happens. And we look to money and we say, this will make me happy. And the truth is, if we're real, like we're never happy because what makes you happy now doesn't make you happy in four years. Think about all the stuff you have in your house right now that when you bought it, you're like, this is going to complete my room. This is going to like, this is going to make my wardrobe perfect. This car that I get, when I get this, I have arrived. 
And a few years later, with a few kids riding in it, staining it up, messing it up, denning it up. Where'd that scratch from? I don't know. Just a few years later, you're going, that thing is a piece of garbage. I spent my life savings on this. These clothes, why did I ever wear that? This phone is three months old right now. A TV, my TV is HD. My TV is not 4K HD, 3D, curved, serve me a drink. Like what makes me happy? Because, because like, happiness is, is moving. And oftentimes we will look to, to, to money to provide what only God can provide. And by the way, he gives you more than happiness. He gives you joy. Another thing we do oftentimes with money is some of you look for happiness. You're a spender. You spend, spend, spend. I'm going to get happy. Others of you, because of your childhood, you have a tendency to look and your upbringing. You didn't have a lot, so you look to money for security. And you say stuff like this. I'm just being wise. I'm going to keep everything that I have, and I'm just going to be wise with my money. I'm going to, we, we, in church, we call this a steward, and I get it. And there's a biblical concept that we need to teach, but oftentimes we go over and above and we say, I'm going to keep everything that I have and I'm going to be afraid to lose it. I'm going to hold tightly to everything God gives me and I'm going to look for security. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to save till I'm this age. I'm going to work really hard until I'm this age. And then I'm going to sit back and I'm going to relax and I'm going to enjoy the fruits of my labor because money will bring me security. Kind of like the story in the Bible Jesus told when he said, let me tell you about this one guy that did that. He said he had a great few years, a great harvest for his, for his crops. And instead of taking the money and realizing why he had been given and realized how rich he was, he came up with the plan, and the plan was, I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to save up more. I'm going to go into retirement, and I'm going to sit back and enjoy my life. And as he's going through that process, not realizing the gift that he's been given, but also the burden to be aware of, he's finding security. And the Bible says that he dies, and his life is taken from him, and he gets to heaven, and God says, you're a fool. For he saved your, your entire life. And sometimes that's hard for us to even comprehend. And so I, oftentimes for me, when I'm struggling with security and happiness, I go back to this one story that I experienced years ago. I was in Oklahoma, and uh, my, bro- my brother-in-law is from Colorado, and we, we were staying in a hotel, and we walked out s- together of the hotel to get into his car. He, he had a minivan. And I was like, that's a cool minivan. I mean, I'm not dogging it, but I was kind of messing with him. I was like, oh, a nice minivan. I was like, well, it is practical. I was like, and it's cool. We weren't young. That time I was in my early 30s, and I was like, no, for real, it's a cool minivan. Where'd you get it from? He was like, well, this, this guy in my church let me borrow it to go on a road trip. I was like, ah, it's nice. It's, it makes it easier to go, and they got the bucket seats and the TVs. And I was like, this is really nice. He's like, actually, it's really sad. And I said, what do you mean it's sad? He said, well, this guy in my church, um, he... He just turned 60 or something like that, 55, and he just retired. I said, well, that, that's great for him. And he said, no, let me explain the story. He said, uh, him and his wife didn't have any kids. And I don't know if he told me they decided not to have kids or they, they couldn't have kids. I, I don't remember. So I don't want to tell you that part because I don't want to be a liar. I just remember they don't have any kids. And he said, so they came up with the plan of what they were going to do. They were going to work really hard and save really fast and retire at a young age. And then they were going to travel the United States. So this is not a lie. I'm not fabricating this. He said he got to the year of retirement, 59, whatever, how old he was, 55. He wasn't very, wasn't very old. And he gets to the year of retirement, and his wife begins to get sick. They had saved and saved and saved and planned. They're going to pay their house off. They're going to travel. They're going to see sights. They got this minivan. It's a Chrysler. Like, it's a swagger wagon. They got the bells and whistles. They, they could sleep in that van if they wanted. And at 59, his wife gets sick. Take her to the doctor. Find out she has stage 4 cancer. A few months later, she's dead. And so now he has this, this van that represents uh, failed security. 
And I'm not dogging the way that he lived, but, but I wonder if he could go back a little bit in time and go, you know, the time that I have, because I'm not promised forever, I wonder if he would have lived a little different. I wonder if they would have had kids, if they, if they could have. I wonder maybe if he couldn't have kids, they would have adopted or maybe, maybe taken some, some kids as their spiritual sons and daughters under their wing. I, I wonder if he would have changed the way that he, he had a relationship he had with, with, with money. I, I wonder if he would have not looked at it for security. I wonder what he would say if he was standing up here today to younger people. There's a verse in the Bible that I, that, that I think is fitting to this point in Proverbs 18. It says, the name of the Lord is a fortified tower, and, and the righteous run to it and are safe. And then it says this, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city, and they imagine it a wall too high to scale. In other words, what he's saying is uh, rich people think that they have enough to have security. They have this house, and they go, this is a fortified fortified wall. This can't be torn down. This can't be taken from me. But there's a chapter in the book of James that says, what is your life? You are here for a moment, and then you, you vanish. So it's going to be hard. I got hard for me, hard for you to really depend on God, because from most of the time of our life, we don't really need him. Let me just give you two more real fast. Number two is this, is I need you to understand it won't ever be enough. There's not, there's not a limit where you hit and you go, I got it. I finally arrived. I finally hit it. In fact, one of the richest men in history, not just the richest men in the Bible, but the richest men in history. If he was alive right now, we would know him and be following his Instagram. He says in Ecclesiastes 5, he says, whoever loves money, watch what he says as an old man, never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. If you love it, you will never have enough. It is a moving target. We have said this for years. So, so for instance, when I was 20. Two, and I got my first job. I've shared this with you before. And I made $30,000 as a 22-year-old. How many of you knew when I, got 30, when I got that first job as a children's pastor, and they said, we're going to give you $30,000 to give your kids Mountain Dew and take them to camp and play Chubby Bunny and do puppets and skits with them and play basketball with them? I was like, this is the most amazing job in the world. I am kindergarten cop, right? Like, this is, this is, amazing. Like, this is the best job in the the world, if, if you would have talked to my 18-year-old self, I would have been like, you arrived. Like, you are 100%, you are rich, $30,000 a year, $2,500 a month? Are you kidding me? I got an apartment, and I can live on a golf course, and I get to buy a 1998 Honda Accord silver one? I have, I've arrived. Like, I, I, my I got all this stuff. I can, go, I can go buy my own. I can go out to eat if I want. I can do whatever I want. I have arrived. But here's the thing about it. As a 28, 29, 30-year-old, if I still would have been making $30,000 and having three kids and diapers and a wife and medical bills and everything else that happens, and you would said to me, hey, man, you still make $30,000. You feel rich? I would have said, I'm not rich. I need, I need a breakthrough. I need a victory. <laughs> I need help. I need, I need to get on wick. I need something. Like, I, these diapers, every time they go to the bathroom, it costs 50 cents. That's 50 cents. That's 50 cents. There goes 50 cents. And they did this study, because I've gone through my life now. I'm 40 years old. It feels like it's going fast. They did this study. And they asked people, well, you make $30,000 a year, are you rich? And they said, absolutely not. As most of us would. They said, what do you need to be rich? And they said, well, let me think about it. I would need about $74,000 a year. So they went and found a bunch of people who make $74,000 a year, and they said, hey, we're writing a book. We need to interview rich people. You think the people that made $74,000 a year said, I, mean, I can give you some pointers on that? They said, we're not rich. And they said, well, introduce us to some, some rich people. Well, how much would you have to make to, to be rich? They said, you know, about $100,000 to $150,000. 
So they went, and they found some, some medium families that work two jobs. They make about 150,000 Pennsylvania families, and they knocked on the door and said, hey, we are interviewing rich people. And we don't even know how it feels. What do you think they said? Come right in. I'll tell you how it feels to be rich. Let me lead you to my crib. <laughs> what did they say? What did they say? Same thing we would all say. I'm not rich. Look, I got to pay for braces, two pairs of braces. I got to pay for college. I got to pay for food. I got to pay for school lunch. My son went to school lunch last week. I put $25 on his account. I said, how much is school lunch? He didn't know. He spent $9 on the first day. I was like, bro, you're not eating that Panera bread. You're eating in a cafeteria. It's $2.35. Right? I got to pay for all of these things. I'm not rich. So they asked 100 people made $150,000. How much do you need to be rich? And they said, we would need about $200,000, $250,000. So they found 200000 250000 people. How much do you need to be rich? You're rich. You want to tell us how to be and they said, we need about $5 million in assets to be rich. So if you make $2 million, you're not rich. And you see the principle. What's the principle? It's never enough. It, it will absolutely never be enough in your life. And if you continue to pursue, if you don't feel rich, you're going to continue to pursue being rich. And it will never. You have kids. Is it ever enough when you give them something? If you give them one cookie, how many cookies they want? Two. Anybody have an Alexa at their house? I dove into the world of Alexa this week in the office, and we were walking by. They were showing us this Alexis, and we, you could tell, hey, Alexis, play my jam, right, and all that stuff. And so I'm like, this is, this is amazing. And I was like, we got to get one of these at my house. And so we went to the store, to Best Buy, and I got a little Echo, $30 Echo, and I'm like, I'm going to bring this into my house. And I get to tell, finally, I get to tell a woman what to do, right? Like, play me something. I'm just, I'm just, that was a joke, low-hanging joke. So when I was in the office this week, I was, I was like kind of, you know, saying stuff to it. And Vinay, who's one of our, our, our people that works, she has a little boy at home. And so you, if you don't have little boys, you won't understand this. But she said, you want to see what my kid does with, 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 the, with the echo? I'm like, yeah. And she goes, watch it. You can do it. And she walks by and she goes, she goes, Alexa, fart. And she just kept walking. And like three seconds later, it was, this, it was like, <laughs> and I was 40 years old and I was like, oh, no, it didn't. I was that. I was like before. I'd be, I was sold. I'm like, I gotta get one of these. So we took it home. My boy, my boys already know this. And so yesterday we, we were kind of listening, doing some work, playing some music. I was trying to play Christian music in my house, and every couple minutes I would hear, and I'm like, I'm like, okay, funny. A couple minutes later, I'd be like praising the Lord, singing the thing, and I'm like, and so finally I was like, stop. I was like, okay, one more time. You can do it one more time. And then I let them do it one more time. What do you think they said? Dad, can we do it like one more time? Okay, one more time. Dad, can we do it one more time? One more time? One more time? All day long. I was finally like, I'm, the echo's going in the garbage. <laughs> this is my echo, right? Like, this is my Alexa. And the truth is, it's never enough. You, you, will, you will never have enough. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with this turmoil. It's never enough. It'll be hard for you to depend on God. And, and lastly, we're going we're gonna to take this in for a landing. You need to understand if you're a follower of Christ and you are ready to be aware that you have been given more than probably you can imagine and you're rich and you have to understand uh, there's a greater responsibility. One of, the, one of the most telling verses in Scripture uh, is words of Christ when he says this. Watch this. He says, he says from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So, so we need to, it's a greater responsibility. You ever said something like this? If I hit the lottery, 
I would help so many people. Like you watch a show or you meet, and you're like, if I would win the lottery, like I, I would... I would give $3 million to the church if I won 30. I would do this. I would give. I would buy everybody everything. You ever say something like that? Like I have. I'm like, man, if you just let me win the lottery one time, God, God, I would help so many people. And I've had, I've had that thought, and I've heard people say this, and I think sometimes God says, you have won the lottery. You have. You, you li- regardless of what, what you read in the news, here's what you need to understand about national news. There's always an agenda. There's always a purpose. And it's always negative because that's what we like. So I can imagine if you would step out of the little bubble that's called America and you would step out into the railroad and you would step on the plains of Africa and you would walk and you would meet somebody and barely has any clothes and you would realize what you complain about. I think the first thing you would think, and maybe this is why it's so beneficial to go, is you would say, man, I have, I whine about the dumbest things. Like I tried to get out of the shower in my master bathroom today my bathroom was one of those old 1960 ones and Leah was getting ready and I tried to get out I couldn't get out and I started yeah I'm like you gotta move I gotta get out of the shower and I thought to myself this is, this is first world problems you have a bathroom in your bedroom you have hot water coming on your head and, and you have a place to lay your head like you have first world problems and the thing is you have hit the lottery so what I always think is I think you say you would give three million dollars when you hit the lottery you make sixty thousand dollars why don't you just start with six why don't you just start there? Because you have already been given more than you can imagine. So why don't you just start being faithful with, with what you call little? And the Bible says, if you're faithful with little, God can entrust you with more. In other words, he's testing you. You need to understand that when you get what you get and you live where you live, and here's what's so scary. Uh, studies suggest that when you are rich like we are rich, that the more that you make, the less generous that you are. Isn't that weird? Like the most generous people in America, guess how much they make, percentage-wise? They make under $12,000 a year. The more you make, the less you give. And so I've always encouraged you in this church to step outside of, of greed and outside of a poverty mindset and outside of a held hand, the blessings of God, and start to live in what I think is one of the greatest blessings, a generous spirit. How do you overcome this? What are you resp- you're responsible to be, to be generous. You know, my parents, they just announced my dad is retiring from his church after 38 years, transitioned into a new, new role to, at a college, University of Valley Forge. And of all the things that they, they taught me that I'm grateful for, on top of the list, if you ask me, what, what is generosity? I'm so glad that when they made very little money that they were still generous people as God has given them more opportunity and grown their church and get, like, they've always consistently stayed generous. They've always sponsored kids. They've always bought people meals and presents. They've always done over and above their tithe. They've always supported missionaries. His church has always given over 10% of his finances away. That's where we learned that from. And I'm grateful that he has taught me to, to be generous. And I need to encourage you, if you want to be trustworthy in what God has given you, you're saying, what am I supposed to do? Become a generous person. There's nothing better with handling that responsibility. I got my, my hair cut yesterday. I'm going to close with this story. And I was like a proud papa in this moment because I was getting my hair cut and they were talking about how sometimes people sit in the chair and they fall asleep. And I was thinking to myself when they were saying that, yeah, I would fall asleep if you stopped talking to me. <laughs> you know, when you're, like, if you're a barber, like I know you feel like you have to talk because you're like kind of a counselor. I get it. Uh, but but for sometimes when I go to barber, I'm like, I just want to sit there. I don't even want, I can't even hear you. I'm 40 years old. You got the buzzer. I don't even know what you're saying right now. 
And plus, I do kind of want to fall asleep. This is, this is quiet and amazing. And, and so they, they were talking about how people fall asleep in their chairs. And stuff. And there's this little boy that comes in, and every time they turn on the clippers, he just falls asleep. And I was like, I think that's narcolepsy, bro. I don't think, like, that's probably something he's, and they said, no, he sleeps. And they said, yeah, he comes with his dad. And he said, his, every time his dad comes in, uh, he gives big tips, and he pays for a bunch of people's haircuts besides this kid. And I'm, they were like, and you probably know and I was like, nah, maybe. And they, were, they started describing him and his son, and they said his son's name. And I was like, yeah, he goes to my church. And I was like, man, like that, that's the kind of church I want to be part of. A, a generous church, a church that loves to give, a church that doesn't let money grip their soul, doesn't believe the lie that they don't have enough, that lives with the open hand. And, I will, and if you live with the open hand, I can promise you, you will always live under an open heaven. We say it often in the office, joking around, that we serve the God that owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That he has more than enough to allow us to accomplish everything that we've been called to accomplish in our personal life and in our public life. The truth is you need to understand that when he gives you much, much will be required of you. You need to understand that it's going to be very difficult if you're rich for you to trust God. If you're pursuing wealth, if you don't feel rich, you're going to pursue it. You're going to continue to think that it's still out there. Instead of realizing that you shouldn't pursue pursue the gifts, you should pursue the giver. And when you pursue the giver, he will align you into the purposes of your life that he has pre-written out before you were ever born, before you even knew anything. And he will bring every moment, every, every monetary thing that you need to accomplish what he has called you to accomplish. You won't even have to worry about it. So if you're stressed, if you have anxiety, if you're fearful, I would say, man, maybe, maybe you haven't been aware of money in your life, and maybe you've been resting on it and leaning on it too much, and maybe you need to step away from it looking for security and happiness. You need to find the one who can actually give you joy and peace, who can actually make you secure. Would you do me a favor? Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes with me? I love coming to this time of the, of the service because I think God sets sets the atmosphere to accomplish something miraculous he does it in he does it through singing and then he does it through his word he opens up hearts through the power of of the the song the the notes that are played and then as you're focused on the the presence of God he speaks directly to your life and I love to talk about generosity because that's who God is that's who he is Bible says, for God so loved the world. Now, what did he do? He didn't make you earn it. He didn't make you find it. He didn't make you pay for it. The Bible says that he gave. When you give, you look like God. When you give, you represent God. The Bible says he gave his only son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And that moment when it talks about believing, that, that is actually a physical moment in your life where you say, you know what? I'm going to turn my life to God. It actually happens. It's not this, this mental belief you have where you went to this class and you've joined this church and you say, you know what, I'm a Lutheran or I'm a Catholic or I go to Methodist church. And so, you know, I did that when I was a kid. And so now I have a relationship with this God, but I don't really know him. It's more religion. Listen, religion is dead. It makes you more insecure, more angry. It makes you have more anxiety. It is not a relationship between a father and a son or a father and a daughter. It is a debt and a debtor relationship. You give to God, God gives to you. You owe him, he owes you. That's not the relationship God wants for you. God wants to have a relationship with you through his son, Jesus Christ. And he gave you all of it. 
you just receive it. The Bible says that while you were still a sinner, and let's just all agree that we are sinners, that we lie, we steal, we cheat, we lust, we have bitterness, we have anger, we have issues, all of us. The Bible says, for he died for all sinners, that of all anyone who is in sin would confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord, that there's a very real moment in your life. It's not a book belief. It's not a family belief. It's not a class belief. It's a decision. I'm going to put my trust and my future in your hands. The Bible calls this repentance. It's a 180. You turn away from your old life. You turn towards God. And when you do that, when you believe in him, the Bible says he takes you just as you are. You're not perfect. You're forgiven. You're not a finished product. This is the beginning. He wants to change you. He wants to set you free. He wants to give you a reason to live. He wants to give you a, pu a purpose for your future. He wants to give you a peace over your past. He wants to promise you eternity and give you life, the Bible says, and life to the fullest. And here's what I know. From the very moment that we begin church, that he begins to work. And I can't explain to you exactly what happens, but I know that he begins, the Bible says, to knock at the door of people's hearts. And for me, I remember it just being a, almost a burning in my chest, a drawling. I, don't, I didn't even understand it. I didn't even want it in the moment. I was just trying to get on with my business. And I can tell you when I was 18 years old, I can tell you the day and the moment and the time when I know that God finally reached my heart. He took me from a faith that my parents had to an actual personal faith in Him. And I have never turned back. But I have not been perfect. It has not always been easy. Sometimes it's confusing, sometimes it's difficult, but I can tell you that he has never left me down. He has never turned his back on me. And he is here. He loves you more than you can imagine. And so it's just like this. When there's a gift being given, there's, there's one, the giver gives the gift, the receiver receives it, has to take it. So I can put a gift in front of you and you can say, okay, that's great, but if you never open it and take it, the gift is pointless. So God has given us the gift of his son, We have to receive it. That's a very real thing that we do. We ask him, God, come into my life. Jesus, save, my, save me from my sins. Set me free. Be my forgiver. And I believe that moment is here right now. At all of our campuses, there's somebody standing in the front. Limerick, somebody at Montgomeryville and, and Royersford and Plymouth meeting. There's somebody just like me standing in the front of a room of people just like, just like here. There's somebody online right now uh, joining our online crowd. And if that's you right now, if, if you know, man, I need to receive the gift of God through his son, Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for my sins, that he wants to set me free and make me whole, that I can't do this on my own anymore, and today I'm going to turn away from who I was, and I'm going to turn to him. Very real step. I'm not going to make you come forward. I'm not going to call you out. But I believe just like you reach out for a gift, that you should reach your hand towards God today. And so if that's you, we're not going to sit here and try to get all emotional. I know God's already moving. And you say, hey, that's me. I need to get my life right with Christ. I want to pray with you as we close. Not a long religious prayer, just simply a yes to God. A yes to God, forgive my sins and set me free. And so if you're here or anywhere else, all over our campuses, you would say, hey, Pastor Steve, that's me. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Would you just begin? Don't worry about the people beside you. Would you just begin to say, hey, that's me. God's working in my life. And just shoot your hand straight up in the air so that I know right now with me that I'm praying with you, Lord. If that's you all over this house, just stick your hand up straight in the air. If you're in Montgomeryville, uh, if you're somewhere else, I see a hand right over here. Is there anybody else? I see a hand right here. Yes, anybody else? Hey, Pastor, that's me. Another hand. I'm going to get my life right with God. I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ. 
Listen, you don't got to wait till you get yourself cleaned up. I had somebody tell me that today. I'm going to come to church in a few weeks when I get myself cleaned up. God doesn't take perfect people. He takes humble people. He takes humble people. Bible says, if you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, he will lift you up. He will lift you up. Let's begin to pray, church. Thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for your word, for it never returns void. For any subject that we talk about, Lord, you can change and reach lives. And so, Lord, as we've evaluated our own life, our relationship with money, Lord, we've, we've, we've connected it to our relationship with you, Lord. Lord, let us not be people that serve money more than you. Let us be aware of all that you've given us, Lord, for the Bible says, to whom much has been given, much will be required. Lord, let us be trustworthy servants, Lord. Lord, let us trust you. Let us trust you. Let us follow you. And Lord, we're grateful for our friends in this room, online, and other campuses who are choosing to make you the Lord of their life. Lord, you have reached out your hands to them, and they're receiving you by faith. For the Bible says, for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Their sins will be forgiven. Their future will be secure. Their eternity will be promised, Lord. And they have a reason and a purpose to wake up tomorrow. And so we are grateful for everything that you've done. We're grateful that you continue to show up and you continue to change us. And now we leave this place and church is not over. Lord, we're going into the world to make a difference. At school, in our work, in our families. Lord, everywhere we go, we want to represent you to this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Hey, church, one more time. Let's shout amen together and clap.